In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers, and we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com beat and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com beat. Thanks for your help. I am Ari Melber. This is The Beat, and we begin with the breaking news and what is the most significant January 6th verdict so far. A breaking news day in law and for accountability for the insurrection that tried to overthrow the peaceful transfer of power. I can tell you, full stop, this is the most significant verdict we've gotten in the series of cases around January 6th. And we'll walk through the news for you right now. A federal jury finding the leader of the notorious Oath Keepers militia, Stuart Rhodes, guilty on the most serious January 6th charge he faced, sedition, or what they technically call seditious conspiracy, because multiple people were allegedly involved. The whole plot was to violently prevent the peaceful transfer of power, to violently prevent the certification of votes in a government proceeding, a term we heard throughout this trial, that all culminated in the deadly insurrection on January 6th. Now, there was more than one person in the conspiracy case, although he was the leader and the most significant. And this is a major blow to the Oath Keepers movement and those who looked at January 6th as some sort of test run that might be repeated in the future. Another Oath Keepers member, Kelly Meggs, also convicted of seditious conspiracy, as well as other lesser charges against other individuals. In all, there were five Oath Keepers, all five convicted of obstruction of an official proceeding and aiding and abetting. You can see what are now convicted criminals on your screen, some of the most prominent leaders of the Trump-aligned insurrection. These people yesterday were presumed innocent and awaiting a verdict. Tonight, for the first time, I can tell you, you are looking at the convicted felons who tried to overthrow the democracy of the United States of America. I can also tell you that three of these individuals were convicted of the lesser crimes, for example, obstructing the proceeding that would secure the election results, but not seditious conspiracy itself. Three were cleared of that charge. Now, Rhodes is the most prominent figure to stand trial for the insurrection. This is the first time a jury has squared up and looked and been presented directly with the people who did the violent part of the insurrection. There were other parts of the attempted coup But everyone understands why this was, according to the Justice Department, the most serious. You have to remember, Attorney General Garland cleared and approved the decision to aggressively pursue this as sedition, which was not automatic from the jump. That wasn't automatically necessarily what would happen. Today vindicates that decision with these two convictions. They face decades in prison. Decades in prison. Now, I want to tell you what we're going to do. We have Michael Moore here on this He has discussed many of the issues we're facing from Michigan out around the country, the threat of right-wing violence, and he's here with us. So, Michael, I will see you in a moment as our top guest. But first, we begin with a report directly from the courthouse where Ryan Riley has been covering this case for MSNBC. Uh, Welcome back, Ryan. I went through the charges. Uh, Walk us through, as someone who's observed this case and the litigation strategy from the very beginning, uh, what it means when you see the DOJ win on the biggest charge against the leader of the Oath Keepers, the number one defendant in their sights, it would seem to be a a pretty strong day for them. 
Yeah, I definitely think DOJ is chalking this up to a, a win overall. I mean, seditious conspiracy charges are very rarely brought, and when they have brought them in the past, they've had trouble securing a conviction. Of course, there was that uh, case back in uh, the about you know over a decade ago now uh, involving that militia uh, in, in the Michigan area that um, was uh, was tossed out by the judge. So this is something that uh, we is very you know a, a, a big win for DOJ here. But you can sort of see the logic having sat through a lot of this trial um, that D, that the uh, jurors were sort of following here in terms of the evidence of pre-planning um, and the evidence of really violent rhetoric uh, aimed at uh, members uh, of uh, of the Congress who uh, were targeted on on, uh, on January 6th. Um, I think, you know, the two people who were uh, found guilty of seditious conspiracy, um, Kelly Meggs, uh, as well as Oath Keepers founder Stuart Rhodes, those were some of the ones who we saw the most... Uh, planning from in terms of uh, actually violent rhetoric towards members uh, of Congress and afterwards. In fact, uh, a lot of that uh, violent rhetoric was aimed directly at uh, House Speaker Nancy uh, Pelosi. You had uh, Rhodes, for example, talking about how he wished they had brought guns on January 6th. Just a few days uh, after the attack, he was secretly recorded by someone who later turned that audio over to the FBI when he talked about their desire, he, how he wished they had guns and how he wished he had uh, strung up Nancy Pelosi from a lamppost there. Um, he was very supportive of the January 6th attack, even though when he went on the stand, what he was telling the jury was that he said that uh, right after the attack, he thought it was, quote, stupid for uh, the Oath Keepers members to actually enter into the Capitol that day um, and made some reference to the idea that it left them exposed uh, to charges and uh, and political persecution. And that's exactly what happened, referring, of course, to the trial uh, that he uh, that he is sitting through. Uh, so we had three defendants overall who chose to take the stand uh, in this case. And I would say, you know, the only one who was found guilty of seditious conspiracy who took the stand was Stuart Rhodes. So that wasn't something uh, that was necessarily beneficial official to him, um, probably the, the testimony uh, was potentially the right move uh, from those two other individuals who took the stand uh, because they also, they avoided uh, those charges. And that was uh, Jessica Watkins, who is a transgender, a former member of the military, who talked a lot about her military experience uh, and being outed uh, against her will uh, during her uh, time in the military, um, as well as uh, Thomas Caldwell, who is also a former military vet, uh, but he's an older gentleman um, who talked a lot about his uh, his physical inabilities uh, that prevented that he said uh, would prevent him from being a part of this broader effort uh, to fence, uh, basically overturn uh, the U the election and keep Donald Trump in office. Right, and as you're reporting, Ryan, the jury ultimately found them all guilty of various aspects of the plot. The obstructing official proceeding uh, is something that does not happen solely with violence, but with other uh, criminal activities that did delay, as we know, uh, what happened that day. Ryan Riley at the courthouse, thank you. As promised, on this big breaking news night, we now bring in the renowned filmmaker Michael Moore. His work has explored um, political violence and the political process in America, which we know has broken down at times. Uh, welcome back, Michael. Well, thanks for having me on, Ari. I'm really interested to hear your reaction to this, not on the legalities, which we've covered throughout the trial, uh, and I've explained to viewers sort of how we got here and what this was on each of these individuals, but really big picture what this means for a country that has faced a lot of questions about whether there would be any justice, whether people would be held accountable. Um, it was not automatic that the DOJ would even pursue this as sedition. Uh, Ryan mentioned his reporting. That's a fairly rare charge because, number one, you don't see it out in public that on a regular basis. And number two, sometimes the government doesn't want to deal with it and they just kind of deal with the trespassing and move on in certain cases or certain times in our history where the government maybe 
didn't didn't really look askance at the individuals who were fomenting this kind of problem. What does it mean, do you think, to America tonight to say what we couldn't say yesterday, which is that some of the people uh, who stormed the Capitol to overthrow our democracy are facing decades in prison for sedition? Well, I think, um, good. Um, you know, the, the whole road saying that he wished they'd brought weapons. Well, actually, I think some of the evidence in the trial was there were weapons in these hotel rooms. They did, they did have weapons in D.C. He was lamenting, perhaps, the fact that they didn't bring them from the hotel room to the actual storming of, of the Capitol. And I think that, um, not that we should be frightened, uh, but we should be very concerned that, that they now know what he said uh, is that uh, we need weapons. And the next time, uh, it may, uh, they may bring those weapons. And, you know, in a way, if you think about this, as, as much violence as there was, the police officers who died, et cetera, uh, this could have been far, far worse had they done exactly that. So on that level, something to think about for the future, because don't think this is the first time. Um, and it's, um, it's the other part of this, though, I think people watching you and I right now, are perhaps thinking, yes, okay, so you got Stuart Rhodes, but it seems like this particular uh, day of violence was encouraged by, uh, supported by the commander-in-chief, the person in the yeah. White House, and and some of his top aides, Roger Stone, well, let's Michael pull, Flynn. Michael, let's pull on that thread together because you're, you're raising an important point. The DOJ has now convened the special counsel to oversee what they describe as the non-trespassing part. They've, these cases are well advanced. These are the people who physically went in. Um, but to your point, Michael, I think you're pulling on something very important that, that this new special counsel has to look at. These Oath Keepers didn't come up with the plan. They didn't right. summon the other people who created. You needed a lot of people to create any chance of getting in. It wasn't only... Uh, 100 Oath Keepers. It was all the larger mass. It was Donald Trump who announced January 6th. It was John Eastman, uh, as you Correct. allude to, who had the legal, quote unquote, legal, although it might be both a legal right. oriented but criminal strategy to seize the day of the certification. And I say that, I'll, I'll throw it back to you, but I'll say that again with the news tonight. You've got people here convicted of obstructing an official proceeding. The official proceeding was alerted to them by members of the U.S. government and the Trump administration, Michael. Right. And and so uh, 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 Rhodes and uh, and Kelly uh, uh, Briggs, they they're not the Benedict Arnold here. They're like Larry and Curly Arnold. Right. They but they're not. the Well, they're not. I'd the say somewhere in the middle, true. but I take your point. Oh, oh, I know. I left Mo out. Sorry. Um, but it's it's seriously when, like just as you just said about the so and the lesser charges uh of um, uh, uh, obstructing a proceeding, a government proceeding, Congress certifying the election of Joe Biden, pr obstructing that from happening. Well, they weren't the only ones, and I don't mean just they and the people who charged the Capitol. I'm talking about that very night after this thing was shut down, um, after they lost their attempted coup, their overthrow, whatever it was, they, uh, the, the 147 Republicans went back into that yeah. chamber yeah. and voted to say, no, Joe Biden is not the president and they will they would not certify. They voted against certifying what 
every state had said, yes, this is real. This happened. He's the president of the United States. And to, to, for 147 of them to try and obstruct, to try and stop the legal and, and, and uh, fair and everything certified mostly by a lot of Republican secretary of states, that, that to me, and I think to people watching this, not only who the, the real Benedict Arnold was that was on the podium encouraging everybody, I'm marching with you down to the Capitol building, but also the 147 Republicans, uh, a number of which have been returned. I think there's something like 109 are, are back in the next session of Congress. These, uh, that, that was, to me, a seditious act. I don't know if that's the legal term for it, but at least when you try to stop the man who was legitimately elected president of the United States from taking his oath of office and taking his seat in the Oval Office, that to me, uh, where where do we where do we have a say about that? Where does the Justice Department? I mean, I, I know they're not going to do anything about that, but I know people watching this are saying, "Yes, Stuart Rhodes. Yes, and and uh, the, the Proud Boys are up next in the docket in court." Uh, uh, you know, and all these, and as you mentioned, you know, being from Michigan, I'm very familiar with a lot of these militia yep. groups and white uh, nationalists, white supremacists. Um, and uh, and you're right. So this kind of seditious conspiracy, see, they, they didn't, the crime wasn't successful. Right. So the question, and you as a lawyer know, is it still a crime if they didn't succeed in robbing the bank? Yes, but they conspired to rob the bank yep. and they worked together to rob the bank. Well, and that's and, and that's what I and that's really the key point you raise. When we talk about conspiracy, this is a convicted conspiracy. And so the question right. is, legally, was there anyone involved in conspiring who may have helped, planned, aided, abetted, who didn't physically happen to be there that day? That is what the DOJ is now facing. It strengthens their case that they've got the conspiracy prongs convicted tonight. That's new. Uh, but whether right. they whether they have the evidence on other people is the biggest question, I think, facing America and whether this is a practice run. Michael Moore, thank you, sir, on the big news night. Our lead off guest. I appreciate it. Coming up, we get turn to how Republicans are admitting they need an autopsy for the midterms. Jake Omanduri is here. And by the end of the hour, actor Jeff Goldblum makes his beat debut. We explore his many roles from the big chill to Jurassic Park. Former President Donald Trump is facing 91 indictment charges, yet he remains the Republican frontrunner. On MSNBC's podcast, Prosecuting Donald Trump, veteran prosecutors Andrew Weissman and Mary McCord break down the biggest legal developments and how they could alter the election. Never had a president who engaged in this kind of conduct who's running for office. He is using the criminal cases for his own campaigning. Search for Prosecuting Donald Trump wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. On the MSNBC podcast, How to Win 2024, political experts, former Senator Claire McCaskill and Democratic strategist Jennifer Palmieri examine the campaign strategies unfolding in this all-important election. The focus is on the voters that are not necessarily in your corner now. If Democrats are going to win in 2024, we have to be able to explain what is happening at the border and what the solutions are. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Thursday. Elections have consequences. We know that. Republicans are now clashing over who will lead the party in the House speakership. Many of Trump's favorite candidates have no vote in that because they lost. 
That brings us to some news out of the Republican National Committee tonight, which is conducting an autopsy of the midterms where that red wave that was so talked up did not materialize. And that alone is actually a pretty different tone from Republicans after 2020, when Trump lost. We know that. Republicans lost. They didn't take the House or Senate. But the rebuke from voters then was greeted with denial. And then the insurrection, which is the other story we've been covering with tonight's sedition conviction. So here's what's different politically. This time, there are more top Republicans who've dropped the denialism since these midterms and in public are saying the party must change if it wants to win. I am so pissed off, I cannot even see straight. This should have been a fundamental landslide election. There's a very high correlation between MAGA candidates and big losses. Trump needs to take a good look in the mirror. I think that this election was the funeral for the Republican Party as we know it. The Republican Party, is, as we have known it, is dead. And voters have made that clear. That last speaker, Senator Josh Hawley, was the most vocal supporter of challenging the 2020 results. So it's a long ways from it didn't happen or overthrow it to it happened, it's bad, you're angry about it, because even Ted Cruz is acknowledging the truth of the loss. So different public stance there. But will the RNC's review tackle the way that voters punish these MAGA candidates who push the big lie or other extremism? Well, we can't predict the future, but I'll show you the news tonight of some of the top people that the RNC tapped. Trump aides like Kellyanne Conway, another Trump favorite, the losing candidate Blake Masters, and another Trump-endorsed candidate, Katie Britt, who won. The panel also features some conservative figures like Tony Perkins, a Texas Republican, Monica De La Cruz, also Trump-endorsed, but some might see them as able to have a broader conversation. But when you look at the critical mass of who is on the party's panel here, if the party's actually considering being less Trumpy, the selections would seem to already limit that debate. Unless Kellyanne Conway is going to suddenly heal thyself, as the proverb goes. Masters, though, is one of the Trump losing aligned candidates. He's personally lived what many Republicans have actually discovered for all the bravado and talk about Trump's control over the primaries or the base, which is a real thing, even in his diminished status. Remember the facts we've showed you. Donald Trump has never won more votes than an opponent, fewer votes than Clinton and Biden. And his impact down ballot has hurt his party, hurt Republicans in 2018 when they faced a blue wave that he energized. It hurt him in 2020 when they had no control of any branch of government and he dragged down the ticket. And according to so many Republicans, it hurt them this month, which is why there's an autopsy in the first place. So what will the autopsy find if it is factual? Jay Coleman Dury has the answers when we're back in just 60 seconds. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place every day, each morning in your inbox with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Understand today's news. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com. Jen Psaki. Have you ever seen the House this dysfunctional? Rachel Maddow. If winning the election is his plan to stay out of prison, what happens in that election if and when he does not win it? Mondays, back to back. Talk about the stakes of this back and forth, given Trump's behavior. What do you make of the statement from Hamas? Why they're doing it? What, what do you think it means? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by The Rachel Maddow Show at 9 p.m. Eastern, Mondays on MSNBC. 
100% running for the RNC chairman against Ronna McDaniel. 100%, I'm all in, Steve. One of the big donors said to me, he said, Mike, he said, everybody wants you to be head of the RNC. Some of them just don't know it yet. Everybody wants the MyPillow guy. I'm joined by a strategist, veteran of several Democratic campaigns, including Obama's and friend of the beat, Chaco Maduri. Welcome back. Good to be back, Ari. Um, you know, one of the facets of being alive, Che, is that the unthinkable, the impossible, the unbelievable, it actually happens. Uh, sometimes in yeah. positive ways, and you think, oh, gosh, something amazing happened that, that you never would have could have thought could happen in your life, and sometimes in other ways. Um, don't sleep on the MyPillow guy. It's not impossible that he or others like him could gain even more control over this Republican Party. Uh, with that in mind, what do you see in the results, the numbers we walked through, and this autopsy's challenge? Well, I feel like I've seen this movie before. You know, Ari, a lot of times when I watch Marvel movies in particular, not Thor Ragnarok starring Jeff Goldblum, that movie's absolutely great, but a lot of times you feel like you've seen the same movie before, you know, same villain, sure. same setup, everything explodes ending. I saw the same exact movie in 2013. In 2013, after Mitt Romney lost to Barack Obama, there was a GOP election autopsy that, was, that said the party's going to try to be more inclusive. It's going to try to be more diverse. It's going to try to reach out to Hispanics, to African-Americans, to gays. These were This was something that the party said in their election autopsy needed to happen. They didn't do that. They mm. went the opposite direction. They went in this white identity direction, which, by the way, has worked in the sense that they are winning white voters. In 2022, you know, the GOP won 60 percent of all white voters. That is an improvement over 2018. They mm. are winning non-college white voters by huge numbers now because they've gone in this direction. The problem is they're losing everybody else. That's a problem. And I see no sign that the GOP is interested in fixing it. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the, the data, which shows sort of the hardening core of that party, uh, which may be why I don't know what the autopsy is going to say, Che, but what's the right number of days for a Republican leader to wait and then partially condemn meeting with uh, hate mongers, Holocaust deniers and anti-Semites? Um, is it five days? Is it, in the case of Mitch McConnell tonight, seven days? Because doing yeah, those bare minimum things, when you talk about uh, midterm voters that are repelled by extremism, would seem to be something that a, uh, shall we say, a substantive autopsy would deal with, no? Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't take days to condemn that dinner. It should take hours, if not minutes, when you find out about it. And if they were interested in going in a different non-MAGA direction, they would have done it immediately. They are not doing it. And the people that they have put on this committee, you know, they caused the problem. Blake Masters, Kellyanne Conway. It would be as if I was putting together a committee to address climate change and I put oil executives on there. I mean, these are the people who created the problem to begin with. They are not going to be the people who are going to solve it. And I think the GOP is still sort of divided as to which direction they want to go. Do they keep want to want to go in this MAGA direction or they want to, do they want to go MAGA light with Ron DeSantis? I suspect at the end of the day, they will try to go in this DeSantis direction where it's sort of MAGA without the tweets, without the truth social, without all of the circus, but with probably harsher policies and more divisive rhetoric. Yeah. And you, you, you raise the data points. You raise that question, which I think the party is definitely facing right now. Um, and in a future conversation, we can explore. Is it MAGA light, diet MAGA? Is it that allegory? 
Or is it just right. a MAGA rebrand where Blackwater says they've taken on so much negative, they changed the name, uh, but the company, the personnel, the policies are all the same. Um, that's something we can explore with or without Marvel uh, next time. Good seeing you, Che. Good seeing you. All right. Appreciate it. Meanwhile, I want to tell folks the January 6th committee is actually still at work because Democrats still have this subpoena power. The Secret Service agent who's at the heart of that bombshell testimony that was such a big deal now going under oath. I have that story for you next. And later, actor Jeff Goldblum makes his beat debut. There he is with the beat lighter. And to hold us over until he joins us later tonight, here's a little Hebrew prayer he shared that I managed to catch on my phone camera. Turning to news out of the January 6th committee, which is still at work, Tony Onado is a former Trump administration official who's testifying about one of the more intricate and extreme plots situations, incidents, whatever you want to call it, that occurred, the SUV report that Donald Trump allegedly was actually physically trying to get his agents to drive him to the Capitol while the insurrection unfolded, that he lunged his security detail when he was resisted. Former White House aide Cassie Hutchinson had spoken about what she says she heard from this person who's now going under oath, or Nato. This was back in June. I looked at Tony and he had said, did you effing hear what happened in The Beast? Tony proceeded to tell me the president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president, take me up to the Capitol now. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Angle. And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles. You may even recall that at the time there was some back and forth with Trump allies sort of impugning that testimony, which was under oath and on the record. Now, Mr. Renato going into the committee, which is still at work, as I mentioned, can add his view and we can all learn about it. And as I've said before, if he says under oath something different, we'll report that. Indeed, all of this is leading up to what will be a final report by the committee, which could come out, well, in December. It's got to come out before they finish and hand over the Congress in January. We will be tracking that. We'll be reporting it for you. And I want to let you know I'm also writing a forward to the HarperCollins edition of the full report. You can see right there. You can go pre-order that on Amazon or wherever you get your books if you search Melbourne January 6th or go to melbourbook.com. We have you covered if you want to get it there. It will also be, I should mention, free online for those who want to read the government version free of charge. Now, let me tell you what's coming up because I mentioned this is a special show. We are going to be joined tonight by one of the most iconic, fun, and weird actors on the planet. I'm talking about the man you see right here, Jeff Goldblum, making his debut as part of our Maverick series, covering lots of ground, including life itself. Life will not be contained. Life breaks free, it expands to new territories, and it crashes through barriers painfully, maybe even dangerously, but, uh, oh, there it is. Today we are joined by a very special Maverick. You can see him peeking into the frame as he's done throughout his career. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, Emmy, Oscar-nominated director, oh, actor, true. musician, yes, uh, and something of a film icon. Thank you for being here. 
I kid, no, the gratitude is all on my side. Thank you. I'm very honored to be here. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours, as I've already told you. That's nice of you to say. I'm going to keep it real and say we've been talking now 10 minutes before we even got this yeah. thing rolling. So if we say, hey, like we were just saying, don't be <laughs> shocked or alarmed. Hey, I, what I didn't mention is that you've got a nice stubble. Do oh, you, thank do you. you, as I watch you, because I watch you all the time, should I watch for that? Is this, do you have this all the time? Do you control it with a device of some kind, may I ask? or You may. Do, I'll answer it yes. as long as you answer some of my questions. I'll I'll tell you everything. I'm, a, I'm an open-faced sandwich. I decided if I was going to go into a job where I had to be seen daily in public, like TV, yes. that if I committed to being clean-shaven, I would have to shave every day for however long I had the job. Right. So unlike other jobs I've had where that was actually really required, mm. this is one where I could set it. So I decided if I can set up the vibe, I've, I shave about twice a week. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. You mean you've worked other places that require you to be... Clean shaven and MSNBC is a kind of more uh, hip, hipster or relaxed kind of place. I'd say it? we're half hippie, half yippie. <laughs> <laughs> and one third flippy. <laughs> yeah, we'll never uh, yeah. forget flippy. You, when you inhabit other people and you finish that role. So-called, yeah. Do you feel a desire to return more fully to some part of yourself? As per my teacher, Sanford Meisner, yes. if you're really interested, you know, and, and I'm a craft kind of... Um, uh, obsessive. I studied with Sanford Meisner at the Neighborhood Playhouse here on 54th between uh, second and third and right after high school. And he's fantastic, as people know. He was in, at the, in the group theater along with Strasberg, Lee Strasberg and Stella Adler and Harold Klorman. And so he was the real deal. Um, and uh, he would say, as per your question, that you really, in, in contrast to the British uh, approach where you don a mask of some kind, right? Um, he would say, you're always you in some way. And yes, you can have an eye patch and you can have a, uh, a, a limp and uh, an accent and another way of thinking. But, but and you even, can be... even on stage, you're always you. Well, that's all you got. And, 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 and more deeply, all of your opinions and feelings, even if it, you're supposed to play a Democrat and you're a Republican or, or vice versa, are made out of your own passions. Well, you know what, you know what Jay-Z said? That might, this, is a, this is why I'm so thrilled to be here. That that's might be Meisner. He said, you could change, but that's just the top layer. You was who you was when you got here. You know, uh, Sandy Meisner couldn't have said it better. That's very good. Hey, now that your legs are like that, don't move a muscle. Just relax. Wait, I, my dad was a doctor. I know. Okay. I did it. You did it. What are you showing us about that? Or is that unrelated? Totally unrelated. Unrelated. Just because I noticed your, your lovely legs crossed like that. I thought <laughs> it was available to me, and I thought I'd, I'd hit it. Well, let me read some Meisner to you. Oh, please. Please. I could do this for hours. I'll read Meisner. You'd, hey, by the way, do you know what you at this, uh, in the audience know what I'm holding? Tell him. He ga Ari gave this to me. As we said, we talked for 10 minutes before. It is, and I, I didn't ask you, I don't know how many of these you have. I don't know who you give them out to, but you offered it to me. I'll cherish it forever. It says The Beat with Ari Melber and uh, uh, with Ari Naftali Melber. And it, and it works beautifully. Only like news that. show with a lighter. Only news show with a lighter. Only news show with a lighter. Put that on the, is that on the, uh, on the brochure? Very good. So I like that. Here's so, the quote. Yeah, go ahead. To be an interesting actor, help. To be an interesting human being, you must be authentic. And for you to be authentic, you must embrace who you really are, warts and all. Do you have any idea how liberating it is to not care what people think about you? That's what we're here to do. Sandy Meisner said that? Mm -hmm. I've never heard that exact 
quote. Well, that was his approach, and I guess that's still my approach. You know, there's no, it's not rocket science, and it's really acting as pretending and pretending good, and you don't have to study with anybody, or you could. Good actors are doing that, and you know, it's it's not rocket science. So, um, but yes, it, when, he is he, technologically and crafty, and he was brilliant. And what he's saying there, I do believe, is that. Um, is that yes, yes, you gotta be a truth seeker. You can't be a phony. If you're a phony, you're not gonna be a good actor. Even though acting is about lying and pretending, you're not what you say you are and you're, you're playing something. But the best actors are truth seekers. I love that. So in television, which is a, a field I entered, I didn't get trained in it or anything. Yeah. You're supposed to do these transitions when you go to the next thing. But I am feeling there will not be really possible transitions speaking with you. Well, so I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to show the clip. That's good. Yeah, no transitions of sort. We're, we're, we're... I'm not even going to try. So we're going to look now at a longer montage of what some would call an oeuvre. Uh, <laughs> you, you will start to call it an oeuvre now. Great. little tad on the androgynous side. But it's yeah, I, I forgot my mantra. Have you ever heard of insect politics? They're very brutal. No compassion. Kibner's book is awful. His ideas are garbage. Kibner's ideas are pure garbage. How can you say that about a man like Kibner? I'm not saying it about a man like Kibner. I'm saying it about Kibner. I do half my work in limos. Are you a chauffeur? No, I'm a journalist. Life will not be contained. Life breaks free. Life uh, finds a way. Oh! Elvis has left the building! Oh, thank you very much. Oh, oh, I love you. Did you just throw my cat out the window? Uh, yeah. So, one thing that people see in common here, no. and you may see it differently because it's your performances, but it's a lot of supernatural, weird, oh, yeah. phantasmagorical, oh. but then you being almost like relatable within the absolutely absurdist situation. Yeah. Insect politics and the way you David, are inhabiting the David situation. David Cronenberg, yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. about that? Uh, well, yeah, I interesting, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe that's something I've been able to contribute. You know, I remember in, in um, well, I worked hard on, I was lucky to work with David Cronenberg, wonderful Gina Davis was in that. Um, uh, yeah, I worked hard on it and tried to make it real and credible, and even though it's a crazy story about this guy who made this invention, teleportation, and then gets mixed up with a fly. So, you know, it's kooky, but, um, but he was very poetical and brilliant and, and uh, brave. There's, he's got a singular voice, David Cronenberg. Yeah. So that's a good movie. Um, and, you know, it was fun to try to be worthy of that. And I worked very hard on it. I'm nothing if not conscientious. And, and my approach was to try to make it, uh, you know, real in this kind of crazy situation. Real. Likewise with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where there's an alien invasion. Da -da 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 -da. But Phil Kaufman is a person of rare intelligence and sensitivity. and cinematic talent and he helped me do that what you're talking about so yeah that's what i've been trying to do independence day another alien invasion uh dinosaurs on the loose yeah those are crazy situations but yeah you try to fill it up with 
reality somehow or try to make it look you're, like you're making it up as you go along, you know, if you have anything to say and like that, try to just try to do a good job. And that you're imagining how a person would really feel in this situation that seems to many people like it would never happen. That's true. Well, all good actors are trying to do that. But yeah, if you really apply yourself to that and sometimes you don't do it till way later. I go, dinosaurs, what would happen if, if we, you and I found ourselves in you know, proximity with something like that? You don't know how your thinking and feeling would uh, 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 um, transpire, would, would, would uh, process itself. You know, you don't know. So you can only imagine if a T-Rex was like this, you don't know what you're, you, you'd possibly do. But that's the, that's the opportunity and challenge to say, what would I actually be well, feeling? You know, all good. They're all trying to do that. But, you know, it's an interesting little puzzle to solve. I want to hear about your jazz. Hmm. This is real for you. I mean, some people know about it, but some people might not. This yeah. is something you've been doing for a long time. Yes, yes. We have a couple albums out with Decca and Verve that have done well. And now we have a new one coming out. We just released this single, this Christmassy holiday single, with me singing while the band plays Christmas Waltz, if you know it. Do you know that song? I don't think I know it, but yeah, I thought it's more... Christmas, perfect for you. Oh, thank you, really. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you. I like Christmas time. I like Christmas time. We celebrate kind of both. You do you know? both, okay? Yes, we do do both. And my parents, I was telling, who was I telling today? Oh, I was telling somebody else today. Uh, in Pittsburgh, we didn't live in Squirrel Hill. We lived in West Homestead, and I were, my sister and I were the only Jewish people in the school. And, um, hmm. and we like to look at decorations. But we had a bit. We we didn't want to get my parents. I guess didn't want us to feel left out of anything. So we had a big tree, much decorated, oh, so with been, lots of presents. So you were aware of? Oh, I'm I'm the only yes. Jewish family in this place. Yes, but we're doing Christmas too. So you're doing both. Well, and we had train sets, but we kept it all in the basement. Oh, so explain. Well, uh, you, you you take what you want from it. Wait, wait, wait. Was there, we kept, right, now, this is interesting. We kept it in the place. And upstairs, we didn't any, downstairs. Was yes. the menorah on the main floor? Not really for anybody to see. I think we may have lighted a menorah a little bit, but... Uh, wait, so the... I'll but they were not said, serious the uh, Christmas, observant. The Christmas stuff is in the basement. Yes, sir. There is Hanukkah stuff? Yes, not... Uh, Where is it? Uh, you know, in the kitchen. Okay. In the kitchen. Uh, is it better to be in the kitchen or the basement? Well, it neither were displayed for public uh, um, decoration. Did this make you feel that your your religious experience was somehow not to be shared? Well, that's a very deep question. Uh, I'd be interested in your experience. Well, the, you know, I had many uh, experiences that were that started to, you know, wise me up about uh, this uh, what I was or the religion that my Jewish. Yes, yes, about okay. being Jewish and da 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 Interesting. Well, I would say, because I want to be judicious with your time, I just have a couple mm. more things. Mm. But if this were our therapy session, I would say, let's come back to that next time. Oh, yes, yes. There's plenty much to say about that, and I'd love to talk to you uh, especially about it. Uh, but that's but yes. striking. And then the positive on the musical side is that you're sharing something that's Obviously important to so many people around the country. That would be a TV transition. That's how we do that. Yes, yes. And this song, here are the lyrics. Uh, a frosted window panes, candles gleaming inside, painted candy canes on the tree. So far secular and kind of part mm. of the spirit. Santa's on his way. He's filled his sleigh with things, things for you and for me. It's that time of year when the world falls in love. Every song you hear seems to say, Merry Christmas, may your New Year dreams come true. Well, this song of mine in three-quarter time, it wishes you and yours the same thing, too. That's the, that's the song. 
So that's not too religioso. Lovely. No, yeah. It's, but it's quite, I love the jazz of it. I love the musicality of it's it. It's not and, Jesus died for your sins. No, it's not that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Also yeah. a theme in, Christ, in Christianity. As we know, yes, yes, yes. Much, yeah. much to, to speak about. But all of that, um, yes, yes. How about that little drummer boy song? All right, here's, well, here's well, what I feel. I feel that all peoples of this earth are made of stardust. That's not just uh, no. hooey, that's uh, yeah, as per uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Tyson. Yeah. And, uh, and we are all very intimately similar and connected at our essence. And all of these, what do you call it, tax, uh, taxonomy? Taxonomical differences <laughs> are artificial and superficial and you could run for office if you wanted. There right, we go. Lightning's going to be hard for you. All that stuff. So you know why the lightning round's going to be hard for you? Because I'm loquacious and uh, verbose, and I can't answer anything in a pithy moment, but I'll try. Michael Gold of the Big Chill. Oh, you know, uh, frisky. Seth Brundle in the fly. Ooh, passionate. Ooh, passionate. Yes. Dr. Ian Malcolm. Uh, wise, wise, and, uh, and droll. David... Levinson of Independence Day. Heroic, heroic. Well, you can't uh, go up against a almost suicidal, you know, with a suicidal mission to save the planet, uh, but you still do it. Uh, a director you haven't worked with that you would love to? P.T. Anderson, the Coen brothers, no, those two. Uh, An actor that I haven't worked with? Ooh, ooh. Jennifer Lawrence, Kate Blanchett. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was in a movie with Kate Blanchett, but yeah. we, didn't, we didn't have any scenes together, so. Success means? Success means, oh, this, this is a good one, and it doesn't mean what most people think it, it means. It means whatever you think it means, and better off you'll be if it's something having to do with your human with your humanity instead of your checkbook or or your notoriety mm. or anything like that. Being a maverick means. Being a maverick means uh, it's your show. I, I don't know why. Why you know um, you know going your own way and following your own beat of your own drum, I suppose, and trying to. Although I don't know if anybody can really break their arm, patting themselves on the back for doing this, because I don't know who is not, can really jettison uh, and uh, the influence of the group and uh, the norm and the convention. Jeff Goldblum. You're a great, great man. Thank you so much. I will now watch everything you do with renewed and enhanced interest and appreciation. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Love having Jeff Goldblum here. As you can see, you can go to msnbc.com slash Mavericks or use that QR code to see this full interview because there's even more than what you just saw. You can also search on YouTube, Goldblum, Melbourne. We're still on a high from having Jeff here. Thanks for spending time with The Beat.